So we've been talking last week about the rapture, uh, more specifically, when is the rapture, and kind of taking, taking time out to address that question uh, before we move on in our study of the book of Revelation and going through the events of Revelation. There's two main passages that show us there is a reality of a rapture. And so let's, let's start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to turn your Bibles there this evening. Just to kind of get caught up, I know I was moving fast last week. Uh, we're going to kind of recap some of those things, especially some of the stuff towards the end. Uh, but I just want to say there is the reality of what we call the rapture. When the church... The saints are gathered to God, gathered to Christ when he comes back to gather us to them. Remember the promise that was given in John chapter 14? I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. That's a promise that Christ gave. And uh, we see other places in Scripture talk about that as well. One of them being 1 Thessalonians 4 beginning in verse 13. It says, This is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Caught up together is the basis of that word rapture, the catching away of the saints. We talked about the two main viewpoints as to when this happens. There's some other things kind of on the fringes and we don't need to spend time with those because those are very easily disproven by Scripture. But there's two main thoughts, the pre-tribulation rapture and the post-tribulation rapture. Uh, we spent time with that, uh, looking at the different verses that say there is a pre-tribulation rapture and where you would go to, to prove that point. And we saw that that belief is uh, one that believes it's imminent. It could happen at any time. In fact, that's what happens first to start off the tribulation period. And um, the church does not go through the tribulation. Uh, there is a group of saints that are mentioned. These are the tribulation saints. But the church, and in fact, most people who believe this, um, this pre-tribulation rapture will say it is all believers. They will say that all of the saved at that time when the rapture happens, this secret rapture, this catching away, all believers, doesn't matter whether you've ever set foot in a church or ever been baptized or if you've left a church or doesn't matter, all believers will be raptured up. Now, when I talk about the rapture, I say the church and I say the saints for a very specific reason. Number one, because that's the terminology that the Bible uses. It uses the term his people, the church, the saints. And we'll get into depth um, uh, about that here probably in a couple lessons. But I say, I just want to put that out there, the church, the saints, for a reason. Because let's, let's just be flat out honest. Uh, 
when it comes time of the tribulation, there's not going to be people with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. You're either all in or you're not. To make it through some of these things, you're going to have to be fully given to God or you will be fully given to the Antichrist. So this day that we live in of people going to church sometimes and then living kind of a, a half-life, and or that's, that's not going to be the case, I believe, when it comes time of the end. So that's another subject for another time. But there's this idea of a pre-tribulation rapture. Then the other side is a post-tribulation rapture. That's what we've been spending our time we ended our time last week looking at the, that the return of Christ is not imminent. The gathering of the church is not imminent, but it takes place toward the latter part of the three and a half year, last three and a half years of the tribulation period. That means the church goes through ultimately to be caught up in the air with him. And uh, we were dealing with scriptures uh, that dealt with that. In fact, where you're at in your Bible right now, First Thessalonians 4, just look at the next chapter in the first verse but of the times and seasons brethren you have no need that i write to you <coughs> for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the lord so cometh as a thief in the night and in verse six therefore let us not sleep as do others but let us watch and we've been showing the connotations in scripture between the day of the lord and the return of christ and the rapture all these three things are they the same event are they very different events? Because if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, the day of the Lord is its own thing. It has nothing to do with the rapture. That has already happened. But you can already see just in the message or the, the passage we looked at that Paul is connecting the two. And we spent time looking at that. So turn in your Bibles to Joel. We'll go back to the Old Testament and just kind of touch on some of these Verses again in the Old Testament that talk about this. Joel chapter 2. Go to Daniel, hook a right turn a couple books and you'll run into Joel. Joel chapter 2. The other rapture passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we'll be going there in just a few. But it also talks about the, the trumpet sounding and us being changed, and so did First Thessalonians four, at the with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. This happens, right? And if you'll notice, as we did last time, when you begin looking at the day of the Lord and what that entails, and you begin to read some of the Old Testament prophets, you begin to find similar language. Joel chapter two, verse one: Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Verse 11. And the Lord shall utter His voice before His army, for His camp is very great. For He is strong that executeth His word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? The day of the Lord is coming. Blow the trumpet, sound the alarm. It's here. And the Lord's going to utter His voice. In fact, in chapter 3 and verse 15, it says this, The sun and the moon shall be darkened. Again, file that away. This is, this is the day of the Lord, the description. This is what Joel is writing specifically about. And you notice he gives that. The sun and the moon uh, shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their signing. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel. The Lord's going to 
roar out of Jerusalem, it says, and the whole heavens and earth is going to shake, but not his people and not Israel. Zephaniah. Let's go back to that one. Zephaniah. So if you go to Malachi, hook a left, two or three books, you'll come to Zephaniah. And he too writes about the day of the Lord. Let's look in Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 14. Again, this is kind of review. This is towards the end of class when we were hitting these things real fast. But I want you to see this. The Old Testament is talking about the day of the Lord. and It's talking about a day of trumpets, a day of shouting. And yes, a day of judgment, but seemingly not for His people. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the what? Trumpet. An alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. It is a day of the trumpet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, At the sound of the trump, the trump shall sound, at the sound of a shout. What else am I missing what did he say? The voice of the archangel, which we just read, I believe. Yes, in verse 14. The voice of the archangel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says it is the day of the trumpet. And Paul already says you're to be looking for the day of the Lord. I don't know about you, but some things are really starting to line up for me on when this rapture might be, when the gathering away might be, because it sounds a lot like what is described in the Old Testament. Go to Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah is packed full of references to this. Um, some they're hard to understand. Some they talk about near fulfillment, uh, what the nation was actually going through. Some of them are straight prophecy for what is to come. But I want you to notice in Isaiah chapter 24. The day of the Lord, without a doubt, it doesn't matter if you believe the rapture happens before the tribulation or the rapture happens at the end. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment. That is when it's all over and God has His final say and His final judgment and His judgment comes down to this earth. The day of the Lord is when Christ returns to set up His kingdom. All of the nations are crushed, as it says, the, uh, with a rod of iron like a uh, clay pot as Christ comes and establishes his, his kingdom overall. So let me just say that as well. That is uh, unmistakable in Scripture, but I think there's something else that happens on that day as well. Isaiah chapter 24 and verse 19. Let's pick it up there. We're going to read through a couple verses of chapter 25. Isaiah 24, 19. The earth is utterly broken down. Now, he, he's, I believe, getting a vision of the day of the Lord and what it will, will look like. The earth is, is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard. It shall be removed like a cottage, and the transgression thereof shall be heavy on it. And it shall fall and not rise again. It's going to be... Destruction and the earth is, not, is going to be shaking and the kingdoms are going to be shaken. It will fall and not rise again. Verse 21. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. 
And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit. And shall be shut up in the prison, and after many days shall they be visited. When the moon, then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed. When the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem before His ancients gloriously. This takes place when the Lord reigns. You see that in verse 23? All this happens when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Zion and in Jerusalem. Chapter 25, verse 1. Lord, Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee, I will praise Thy name, for Thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For Thou hast made of a city a heap, of a defense city a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city, it shall never be built. Therefore shall the strong people glorify Thee, and the city of the terrible nations shall fear Thee. For Thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm. A shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is a storm against the wall. Thou shalt bring down the noise of strangers as the heat in a dry place, even the heat with the shadow of a cloud, and the branch of the terrible ones shall be brought low. Tune back in if you've checked out. Verse 6. In this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, a feast of fat things on marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. Listen now. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. This is a description of the day of the Lord. You see there is judgment. You see there is the high cities of the earth being brought low. There are kings being brought low. The Lord is reigning. He is the one in control. And verse uh, 8. He will swallow up death in victory. Does that sound familiar? It should. Because it's in one of the rapture passages. 1 Corinthians 15. Flip over there. This is what Paul says will happen when the rapture happens. I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 15 and 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, right? This is the rapture moment. The graves open, the dead in Christ come forward, the faithful saints of all the ages, they receive a glorified body. In the next moment, we who are alive, we are changed as well to meet Him, as 1 Thessalonians 4 says, in the air. Verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This corruptible failing body will be laid aside and we will receive a glorified perfect body. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, when does that happen? The rapture, right? When this corruptible puts on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality. That happens at the rapture, right? I'm not making that up. Everybody see that? Then, then, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. 
He's quoting Isaiah 25, verse 8. When the rapture happens, that fulfills that saying which is in the passage on the day of the Lord. It's a day of judgment. It's a day when the earth is brought low and it's a day of the rapture when His faithful saints, His church, is gathered to Him and death is swallowed up in victory. See what happens when you know the Old Testament a little better? When you know some of these prophecies? That's just a few verses, but you see how the language is the same. You see how Paul will pull from the Old Testament as he gives a description to to show when the rapture is. And it wasn't a secret to the Old Testament says That's when the Lord comes and gathers them together. Um, Isaiah 27. Just in case you think I'm not making it up. So Isaiah 24, Isaiah 25 talks about this day of the Lord. Isaiah 26 talks about a mind that has stayed on Him and peace that is coming. Isaiah 27 continues the conversation. Verse 12. Isaiah 27, 12. And it shall come to pass in that day, that day He's been describing, that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the river into the stream of Egypt, and ye shall be gathered one by one, O ye children of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown. And they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcasts in the land of Egypt and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. I don't know how you would get around it. In that day you'll be gathered from the far lands, from one corner to the other, At the sound of the trumpet, you'll be gathered together to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. I hope the dots are connecting in your own mind. If you don't, if you doubt what I say, why don't you take Jesus' word for it? Let's go see what Jesus says about His own coming. Matthew chapter 24. And, and hold on before you go to chapter 24. Let me, let me just put something to rest. Let me address something that I've never understood. Matthew chapter 24, you will hear incessantly, is written to Israel. It's to Israel. It's to Israel. It deals with Israel. It's not to the church. It's to Israel. Every guy who is a talking head on the radio, everybody who seemingly is a scholar of the end times, will incessantly point Matthew chapter 24 to be talking only to Israel. That none of this has to do with the church. He's telling these Israelites what to expect. I, I don't understand where that comes from or how any student of Scripture in their right mind can get that. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Let's stop there first, okay? Let's, let's, in case I, I'm missing something, and maybe people will say my mind is too clouded with preconceived notions that, I, that I'm just pulling this out because this is what I've been taught. No, what does the Bible say? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. We know what Matthew chapter 5 is, right? It's a Sermon on the Mount. What does it say here? And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. He, Jesus, went up to a mountain. And when he was set, 
his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So we understand who he's talking to, right? There's multitudes there, but he's teaching the church. This is a sermon given to his disciples that which others could benefit. Now Matthew chapter 24. And please tell me if I am missing something. Send me a private message or a message on messenger if I am missing something because I just don't get it. Verse 3, Matthew 24 and verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us when shall, be these, when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said unto them, It's the same. It's the same as Matthew chapter 5. So if that logic applies, I could say, Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is for Israel only, or it is for the Gentiles, or it is only for the multitude. It is certainly not for the church. Nobody says that because of what the context is. So why, when it comes to Matthew 24, is everything thrown out the window? Listen, you only do that if you, want, if you don't want it to be to the church. Because it doesn't fit your theology. It doesn't fit your pre-tribulational rapture belief. So it has to apply to somebody else. He's talking to the church. The disciples came to him. He teaches them. They ask him, what's, what's the signs of your coming? What is the sign of the end? You want to know? I'll tell you. And you have Matthew 24, 25. And all the details is speaking to us as his church. I, I'm not. That should be clear. So don't read these things of, well, that's for Israel. You say that because somebody told you. Read for yourself. That's what the context says. Okay, Matthew 24 and verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, pretty simple. Right before the tribulation, right? That's what Scripture said? No. Immediately after, not before, after. Pretty easy, sound it out. After means it comes after. Immediately after the tribulation of the days. Well, what is he talking about? Starts in verse 4, saying there's going to come a lot of people who are saying, I am Christ. There's going to be nation rising against nation, kingdoms coming against kingdoms, earthquakes, famines. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be, verse 15, the abomination of desolation. When ye, who's ye, the disciples, when ye therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, hmm, that's three and a half years in. Well, why are we looking for that if we're not here? Unless we are here, and Jesus is telling us, when you see that, things are going to get real. Verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of this world to this time, no, nor shall ever be. And except those days should be shortened, we'll get to that. Do you know the Bible says in Amos, Something about a day turning into four hours from eight till noon. We'll, we'll talk about that 
Not today, later. Except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake shall those days be shortened. For the elect, the chosen ones. You've probably heard many times that that is Israel, 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 Israel is the elect. The church is the elect too. And she is called that in the scripture. Peter says we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. There's going to arouse, arise false Christs. There's going to be persecution. That's what he's talking about in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heavens shall be shaken. You see, if you've been jotting down some of those Old Testament scriptures, I'd write them right in the margin here because that's what Jesus is quoting. He's quoting the Old Testament, those passages we looked at, using the same language, right? You see it there? That's Old Testament. Jesus is pulling from the promise of the Old Testament. He says, hey, remember what it said here in Isaiah and Joel and Zephaniah and Isaiah? I probably said that one. Whatever. In all those Old Testament books, it's talking about me. And then, verse 30, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He shall send His angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together. Hmm. Sound like another rapture passage? 1 Thessalonians 4, Isaiah chapter 27, he shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn the parable of a fig tree. When the branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near. What is it? His coming. It's what he's just talking about. Know that it is near even at the doors. I, I, again, I don't know how much clearer we could get. After the tribulation, they're going to see me coming in heaven, and my angels are going to sound a trumpet, the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet at the last trump, and they'll gather together all my people. <laughs> I think that's the rapture that happens at the end of the tribulation. When Christ comes again to gather us to Himself and to set up His kingdom. Backed up by Scripture. Old Testament Scripture. Old Testament Scripture that Paul pulls from and says, Yeah, you need to watch for the day of the Lord because that's our day. When Peter says the day of the Lord is coming, is coming, you look to that. You hasten for that. In fact, you need to live right for it. Let's look at the other rapture passage. Just to back it up. You were already there. You saw it. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. What does it say? 52 in the moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised, and we shall be changed. Right? It's saying the same things, the Old Testament, that Christ is saying. 
that he told his church, when you see these things, when you see these signs, know that it is near. Remember, if we're not here, what are we looking for? No, he says, when you see all these things, get ready because I'm coming. Paul adds a designator in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that helps us even more. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. The last trump. Why does he say that? Well, I think he says it to give us some clarity. If you've noticed, I haven't touched Revelation through any of this. I'm using Old Testament. I'm using Jesus' words. I'm using the writings of Paul, the writings of Peter. Is there anything in Revelation that backs this up? Because you know what? The church is not even Revelation, remember, from chapter 3. It's all tribulation saints. The church is gone. You probably heard that. And there's not really anything in Revelation that says, boom, this is when the rapture happens. Oh, yes, there is. Revelation chapter 10. Let's fact. Let's pick up where we left off in the trumpet study. How about that? Long sidebar, long rabbit chased. Let's get back on the, the road. And let's look at the seventh trump, which is trump number seven out of seven, which that makes it the last trump. Hmm. I wonder if it's going to be special. I wonder if it's going to give us any clues. Revelation chapter 10. I want you to read what's said here because there's a phrase there we need to see. Revelation chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 1. John, again, is writing as he has revealed these things. I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head and his face was as it were the sun and his feet pillars of fire. And he had in his right hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. And he cried with a loud voice, as when the lion roareth. Hmm. Ding, 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 ding. Some things are going off in my mind. The Lord shall utter his voice from Jerusalem. The Lord shall roar from his city. Hmm. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. I have no idea. You can ask. (laughs) Seven thunders said something. We ain't knowing about it till heaven. Verse 5. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein. Listen, that there should be time no longer. It's done. Verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seven angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. I underline that. When the seventh angel sounds, the mystery of God is finished, as he, as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. Hmm. When the seventh angel sounds, the mystery is done. Chapter 11 and verse 15. I know it's all crystal clear. You don't need me to explain anything. Perfectly understandable. <laughs> this is prophecy. 
got to dig in a little bit. Revelation eleven fifteen. The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, listen to what they say, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there were seen in this temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. There's a lot packed into those verses there. See some of the Old Testament there? See some of the same language? Let's take chapter 10 and verse 7 when he says, The mystery of God should be finished first. Let's take that tonight, and then we'll get back to the rest. We'll see how far we get. What is the mystery of God? And why is it finished? When was it started? What is this talking about? What is the mystery of God? Does the Bible say anything about the mystery of God? Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Now slow down. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3. Let's just read. Let's read what Paul writes here. What is the mystery of God? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me toward you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Oh, Paul knows the mystery. Okay. As I wrote before in a few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He says, I just explained it in chapter 1 and 2. I just wrote all about it. We don't have time to go through that. In fact, Paul's going to take it easy and just tell us what it is. He made known unto me the mystery. Skip the parentheses. Verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, as, is it now, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. The mystery of God is that the Gentiles can be fellow heirs with the Jews about, of the people of God. How does that happen? Does it happen through the law? No. Paul is an apostle of Christ to who? The church. The Gentiles become part of the same body by faith in Christ through the church. Verse 7, I was made a minister according to the gift of grace that was given to me. Verse 8, I am the least of all saints, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent now that this mystery that is hidden, that <clears throat> to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The mystery of God is the church. 
It's been predestined by God, chapter 1. We are saved by grace through faith, chapter 2. Unto good works, chapter 2. That when we join the church, we become now part of the body of Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, we both can become one. No more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God built to a temple of God, the habitation of the Spirit. It's all talking about the church. The mystery of God is the church. There's other verses. We're running out of time. Let's look at this one, Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 25, Paul writing here to the church at Rome says this, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. That's the church age. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 says the church is the fullness of Christ that filleth all in all. There's so many verses we could point to. I believe he's talking about the church. The mystery of God should be finished. It's finished at the seventh trump. But wait a minute. I thought the church wasn't mentioned in Revelation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just notice this with me. Maybe, again, maybe I'm too simple. Maybe I'm foolish. Maybe I'm just missing it all. But notice what it says in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians and verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be is in italics, saints. They're called saints. I don't know if it's, maybe it's too simple. But he says, I'm writing to the church, which is at Corinth, and you're, I can call you saints. You are saints. In fact, Romans chapter 1, verse 7 says the same thing. Daniel 7, which we'll look at next week, says the Antichrist makes war with the saints. He goes after the saints. In fact, the word saints is mentioned 13 times in Revelation after chapter 3. All of a sudden, it's a new group of people because it can't be the church. It is the church. Unless they're only saints in Corinthians and Romans and not in Revelation. That's bad exegesis. The saints, the mystery, they're all here and it's about to be finished when that seventh trumpet blows and the rapture happens and Christ returns to rule His earth. How do I know? Because Revelation 11 is pretty clear. We don't have time for that. So we'll end our study here. We'll pick up next week talking about the seventh trump and also we have a seal in here that is pretty important as well so i pray the time together has been useful and uh, thanks for tuning in and we'll catch up with you again uh, probably wednesday i don't know if we're going to live stream on sunday I just want to put that out there but we'll catch up with you for sure next wednesday at seven we'll see you then Any questions?